Hi, my name is David Parker. I'm a retired RN, was an RN for 42 years. And throughout my entire life, I've had wonderful spirit encounters from childhood all the way up through my career as an RN. I worked in an emergency room for almost 20 years. I was a hospice nurse for 17 years. And uh, of those 17 years, I did five years of inpatient pediatric hospice. Had many, many experiences uh, with seeing spirits of my patients before and after they died. And I'll, I'll share one of those with you. I want to share a story that really had such a big impact on me um, from childhood. And um, it takes place, uh, I was probably 12 or 13 years old, lived in a farming community in the Midwestern part of the United States. We lived in this tiny little uh, town that was almost, everything was almost cornfield or cows. And uh, there was another smaller uh, community very close to us. And my mom liked going to church there on Sunday. She knew some people out there. So we would drive, it was about 15, 20 miles from the town that we lived in. So we'd drive down the road. It was a two-lane road, uh, one lane each way. And it would just be corn, 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 a little farmhouse, corn, 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 cows, corn, corn, corn. It was just we were it was just all farming between the, the two communities. And uh, it was a nice, uh, warm summer uh, summer morning. We were on our way to, to church. And I'm looking out the window. And then up farther, they had I, there was like something up there. As we're getting closer and closer, I could tell it was a person. You know, it was out in miles of nothing, you know, miles of corn. And we're driving closer and closer. And I look, it's my friend from church. His name was Lee. I was like 12, 13. He was probably about 16 years old. And we're driving by and I tell my dad, slow down. There's Lee standing, you know, by the side of the road. And we just go right on by. And dad said, I didn't see anybody. I said, it was Lee, Lee from church. Uh, he had uh, black slacks on. He had uh, black shoes on, black belt, and a nice white dress shirt on. Something like what he would have worn to uh, to church. And I said, you know, he might need some help. Let's go back and help him. My mom said, I didn't see anybody. So we went on to church. We would have a Sunday school before church. And uh, Lee was always there, but Lee wasn't there that day. And then after Sunday school, we would have the hour church service. And I noticed Lee's parents were crying through the whole service. And at the end of the service, the minister um, said, you know, let's say a special prayer to uh, Lee's parents. Lee's been missing for a couple of days and we just, you know, hope for a safe return. And the service was over and we were getting ready to leave. My mom looked at me. She goes, don't you say a thing. I had just said, I saw Lee at the side of the road. Well, I didn't pay any attention. And I went up to Lee's parents and I said, I saw Lee. He's standing on the side of the road by a, you know, some cornfields. Well, then they're mad at my parents. They, you know, why didn't you stop and help our son? And they said, well, we didn't see him. So uh, Lee's parents decided to follow us back to our town. And we get in the car and there we go. And I'm hoping I can find where he was because you know, everything for mile and miles, miles is just, you know, corn and cows. Everything looked the same. It wasn't like a landmark uh, to point out where he was. But as we're driving home up in a distance, I see Lee and I keep telling my dad, slow down, slow down, slow down. There's Lee, Lee standing right there. Off we go right past Lee. 
Dad said, oh, I didn't say anything. And my mom, I didn't say anything. So I can't get them to stop. And Lee's parents are in the car behind us. So I opened the car door and said, well, I'm jumping out. Well, you know, of course, my dad's mad. And uh, he finally slows down the car and I get out of the car. I said, there's Lee, there's Lee. And his parents stopped their car and they're looking. They don't see him. I see Lee clear as the bell. And uh, my dad said, well, get back in the car and we'll drive back. Well, I knew my dad. <laughs> my dad wasn't going to drive back. He was going to get in the car and take off. So I start running down the road, uh, you know, corn, corn, corn everywhere. And it was, a, I don't know, maybe a quarter of a mile, maybe a, a city block, something. It was quite a ways because you know, my dad was going at a pretty good uh, speed. So he's backing up. Lee and uh, Lee's parents are backing up and uh, kind of following me. They don't know what to make of it. I'm seeing Lee clear as a bell. They don't see him at all. And I get up to finally the part of the road and I'm standing right in front of Lee. And there's the, the road, and then there'd be like a, a indentation, a ditch. And the ditch was probably about four feet wide. And then it went up to a small little hill and down. It was probably like a little levee. We got a lot of rain there in the Midwest. And the ditch had to be pretty wide so it wouldn't flood the road. And the little hill going into the cornfield probably was to protect uh, overflow of water from the rain going into the road. And it was on that little hill, that little uh, levee, that's where Lee was standing. And he just looked horizontally out. Um, I was probably about four feet underneath him. And to look at me, he would have turned his head down, but he didn't. He just like was staring out at the horizon and just stood there. I kept saying, Lee, here's your parents. They've been looking for you. And, you know, by then the parents, uh, the parents are on my left side. My parents are on my right and they're mad because they don't see him. I see him clear as a bell. I say, Lee, here's your mom. Here's your mom. And, you know, I was kind of, yeah, I was 12, 13. So my dad was much taller than I am. And he was looking down in the gully and it had been filled up with weeds. Uh, we Midwest, of course, it was always raining. So the weeds were high and he saw something in the weeds. And he said, you know, something, there's a handlebar. And ended up, Lee had just against his parents' wishes, bought a motorcycle a few days prior. And uh, so my dad's running down in the mud in, in the uh, the gully, and there's a motorcycle on the side, on its sides, uh, the handle sticking up. I could see the handle when he was moving the weeds around. And he stopped, and he says, it's Lee. He's gone. And there, he's pulling Lee's body. Uh, there was water uh, in, the, in the ditch and pulling Lee's body out. The parents are freaking out. Uh, a mom falls down on the ground and, and um, her husband's kind of trying to take care of her. So it's my dad's trying to free Lee's body and pull the motorcycle out just a bit. I turn and look at, at the mother on the, on the road. Cars are starting to stop and, and people are starting to come help. And clear as a bell, I could hear Lee say, I'm sorry, mom. can hear it right now and 
I told her, I says, Lee just says, I'm sorry, mom. I turned back and look at him. Uh, he wasn't responding to me. He wasn't looking at me. His vision was still right, right out of the horizon. And looking at him, I didn't hear him or see him move or, or say anything more. My dad, mad um, and, and freaked out, of course, tells me to go get in the car. So I run all the way down and get back in the car. And I sat there for about an hour. And the people come by and you know, finally they got the, the police there, the sheriff there. And um, they free his body. And we drive on home. It was a pretty uh, uneventful afternoon because we were very sad. And um, my parents had seen spirits and I had seen them all my life. So this was nothing really super odd for our family, for me to, to have seen Lee's um, spirit. So uh, as the evening came on, there was a knock at the door and it was the sheriff and two other deputies or you know, um, police or something like that. And they wanted to talk to me. And I was well, sure, sure. What can I tell you? Well, they didn't believe for a moment that I saw Lee's spirit. They thought I had killed Lee and I knew where the body was. And I made up the story to, you know, say this is where he was. But I was just a kid. I had a, an old beat up bicycle and I was miles and miles and miles away from where this, this had happened. And, you know, how would I run somebody off the road with a bicycle? So they came back um, a few more times, like two more times, and I talked to them. But um, I finally, my parents just put their foot down and they put a buffer between me and any investigator. And whenever they would come back, I would stay in the room and, and my parents would deal with what was going on. But we lived in a, a farming community. And, and even though Lee lived in the nearby town, all the farming community knew each other. Everybody was friends. So when I'd go to school, the farm kids from where uh, Lee was uh, going knew the farm kids where I went to school. And uh, they started uh, punching me and, you know, shoving me against the locker. That's for Lee. What'd you do to Lee? What'd you do to our friend Lee? And I said, I didn't do anything. And I told everybody this exact same story. I saw his spirit. I saw him. And uh, no one believed me. The next week, uh, they had a funeral for Lee. And my parents went to the funeral. I didn't go. And then it was the next Sunday or maybe the Sunday after that, uh, we went back. And it was obvious we were not welcome there. Uh, people just sneered at us. People just gave us dirty looks. Lee's parents wouldn't uh, look at my parents, but would give me really bad looks. And it was like, oh my gosh, everyone, everyone's on me about what happened. Uh, I felt blessed. I felt totally honored to help my friend at the very find his body and to give him his final message to his mother. And my parents were honored that this happened. They were, they, they just thought, you know, this was a godsend experience for me and for, for Lee and, and for his family. At the end of the service, the minister called my parents to the side. And I don't know what happened. They had me get in the car again. And uh, when they got in the car, they said, this is the last time we're coming to this church. So I don't know if we were asked to leave or, or what happened. But um, in everyone's mind, I was guilty 
I, I wasn't the messenger. I was the, the perpetrator. And I was tormented throughout high school uh, about all of this with Lee. And as soon as I graduated and I got out of that town and I've never been back. And this was, I graduated in 1973 and this is um, 2023. So my 50th anniversary high school reunion was last August. And I've never gone to a, a class reunion. I, I just want to be around those people. They, uh, over the years, they, I would hear messages, you know, when are you going to come clean about Lee? When are you going to tell what you did to Lee? And it's like, oh my gosh. So this year I decided after 50 years, I should go back. And I got a call and I was uninvited to my high school reunion because of this. And several of my classmates were trying to find uh, distant relatives of Lee to see if they could reopen the case. I thought, oh my gosh, it's been over half a century and people haven't let go of this. And you would think that they would have had some wonderful experiences throughout their lives and know what a blessing it was that I could see Lee. So, um, so you know, I didn't go to the class reunion. And, um, and my takeaway from all of it, no matter what people have judged, uh, judged me for what I saw, is uh, I honored my friend. He was my buddy. And for whatever reason, I saw him. I don't know if he was there because he knew I was coming or he was just there and I happened to see him. But I feel I did the right thing. I feel absolutely blessed that I was allowed to see his spirit and to give his final message to his mother. And that's my story of Lee. I have a, another wonderful experience that happened to me in hospice. Years later, I had children and, uh, and my children were killed in a, in a, uh, uh, by an intoxicated driver. And I changed my nursing career from just being more of a technical nurse to being a more supportive nurse. And uh, the loss of my kids uh, motivated me to uh, to become a supportive hospice nurse. I couldn't protect my children from uh, the pain that they went through in death, but I could as a nurse and as a hospice nurse protect others and uh, make their uh, final moments as comfortable as possible. So I became a hospice nurse for 17 years. Anyway, we uh, nine years I worked in inpatient hospice. We had um, a 10 bed inpatient unit. Our average uh, life expectancy for our patients was 72 hours. Some would come in for um, symptom management and go home. Many just came you know, for the final moments that they had on this planet. So I came on on this shift. This woman had been admitted just prior to my coming on to work. And I walked by her room and there was just some connection with her. I don't know, I don't know what it was. There was just I just felt close to her. She was non-responsive. Um, she had agonal breathing. We used to call it, uh, we call it chain stokes respiration. And it says the brain is starting to shut down. Uh, it's, it sounds bad. The respiration sounds like they're struggling, but they're not really. And we would give medications and we'd section the patients. We'd give them oxygen, reposition them frequently and uh, just make it as comfortable as possible. So we'd have 10 patients, we'd go through each patient and take care of them, do a little charting, then go back and, and make our rounds again. I had just uh, taken care of this woman and um, 
uh, cleaned her and turned her and gave her some medicine. She looked really comfortable. And something was going on down the hallway and I needed to go to a special stop on another patient. So when I go down the hallway, we had patients on either side and you walk down the hallway and I check in the rooms just to make sure everybody's doing okay. You know, nothing, uh, nothing uh, urgent going on. And when I went by this woman's room, she who had been in a coma like 20 minutes prior was sitting up on the side of the bed, looked fabulous. She had this incredible smile. Her hair looked good, face looked good. She had her legs hanging off the side of the bed and her arms kind of at her side and looked at me and I looked, you know, looking good. And I walked down the hallway and I thought, wait a minute, she's in a coma. <laughs> What's she doing sitting up at the side of the bed? So I'm taking a few steps backwards. I was like, what did I just see here? And uh, I looked in the room. And when I went back, she was back in the bed. Uh, the side rows, well, rows were up. She was uh, exactly where I had positioned her. She had oxygen on. And then it struck me when I saw her and she was sitting at the side of the bed, she had two legs. And I had just cleaned her and, and changed her and, and repositioned her. And when I did that, she only had one leg. Uh, one leg had been amputated um, a long time ago because the wound, the incision was well healed. I don't know what happened to it, but it was interesting. You know, I walked by, I saw uh, two legs and it just kind of hit me. You know, she's getting ready to go. Spirits, you know. It's like the butterfly getting ready to leave the cocoon and it gets out and it's unfolding its wings and starting to stretch them out and you know, get the muscles going ready to fly on. And I looked at her and I thought, that's what you're getting ready to do. I just saw your spirit. You just showed your spirit to me and you're getting ready to go. And it was just like, right now I'm feeling it again. It was like I won the lottery. What a wonderful thing for this patient to have done for me is to show me her spirit. And she was you know, hadn't died yet. It was just getting ready to go. And I said, well, go for it. You're ready. Yeah, you look happy. You know, this is this is the right time. Go, go on. And uh, I told all the peers and everybody else, the other staff and everything, and oh, that's cool they're seeing all kinds of stuff do there finally at the end of my shift she had uh was still with us she was still living and uh, i told the uh, oncoming nurse you know what i saw and they thought oh that's cool that's cool and uh, i drive home and i go through the front door and after open the front door and i'm walking down my hallway and there's the patient she's standing there looked fabulous she probably was in her 70s. But when I saw her, she looked maybe 28, 30, 35, something like that. Her hair was all done. It just looked really nice. She had like a robe on and she had two legs. She had both of her feet. And she was standing there in my hallway. Oh, I got goosebumps. Totally solid and just beaming with uh, light and energy. And just I just got this golden glow of love coming from her. And she smiled and then just started fading away. And I just stood there. I started crying. I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing me this. What a wonderful gift that you gave to me. And she faded away. 
and I ran to the phone and I called to work. I said, you need to check on the lady in room two. Uh, I think she just passed. And they put the phone down and, and then came back. She was, oh my gosh, we were just in there. She was there. Now she's gone. And so it was at the moment of death that she appeared to me. Why me? I don't know. There was some, just some connection between the two of us. I had never met her or seen her before in my life that I remember or know of. But what a wonderful gift that uh, she did for me. And I'm so happy for her. And I just know, you know, life absolutely goes on. Uh, it's just, a, it's just, we just step from one form to another. And uh, those are two beautiful stories that happened to me. And they brought me so much joy and have changed the way I became a nurse became, uh, and a human being just to appreciate and love um, 24-7. So that's it. That's my story. <laughs>